Well, thank you, James, and thank you, choir. We hadn't heard of them since pre-COVID, I don't think. It's been a long time, so thank you, choir, very much. We look forward to Christmas and what you're going to do for us. Well, good morning, Bellevue. It's great to be in this room with you this morning, and I'm glad you're here. I hope you've had a good week. And boy, wasn't it a beautiful, beautiful week, and we thank the Lord for it. And if you are our guest, we welcome you to Bellevue Baptist. And if I haven't met you before the service, stick around and let me meet you after the service. And we always have a faithful congregation that gathers around their uh, phone and or their iPad and watches us online. So we welcome those of you who are watching online. Thanks for dropping in. I'm in a series called A Trip to Graceland to See the King. And today we're going to talk about, in Graceland, everybody forgives themselves. And my text is going to be Romans, the third chapter, verses 21 through 28. If you would like to find it, I will read it a little later on. And I'm going to use <laughs> the NLT stand version this morning, if you want to find that on your phones. Uh, it's a good translation. Uh, it's a very readable translation. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Let's pray and we will get to it. Father, we praise you because you are our creator. And through Jesus, we can have a relationship with you. And through Jesus, you have extended grace to us. And by grace, through faith, we have been saved. And day by day, I pray that you would help us to comprehend your grace more and more in our lives. And Father, give us an increase of grace this day so that we can respond to your love by how we live our life and how we love one another and the good deeds that need to be done in your name. Father, your loving grace is just amazing. And I pray that you will teach us today to accept your grace. And Father, I pray today that you would just destroy every barrier that we have to receiving your grace and to know the joy of forgiveness. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today. Give every person here just the message you want us to, them to hear. Because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Alan and Tina had been married for 13 years. And the marriage got off to a very rocky start. There was little trust. There was a lot of selfishness. There was little encouragement. A lot of unhealthy attitudes. And a lot of hurtful words. Tina discovered that she was pregnant. Not wanting to disrupt her new law career and afraid of motherhood, she had an abortion. A year later... Alex found out about it, he exploded and walked out. And then a year later, they were divorced. Now let's say five years later, you happen to become a friend of Tina. Tina has become a Christian, but yet she is continually haunted by her abortion. 
She says to you, I know the Lord has forgiven me for killing my unborn child, but I just cannot forgive myself. Now, what would you say to Tina? As her friend, as a Christian, how would you counsel her? How would you lead Tina to deal with her inability to forgive herself? Where does Tina get the idea that she has, has to accomplish self-forgiveness in order to have peace of mind? This notion of forgiving yourself is very contemporary in thinking today, very contemporary in counseling today. Pastors and priests and rabbis and counselors and therapists tell their patients, in order to deal with your past mistakes, you have to to forgive yourself. Now, how about us? How many of us in this room are haunted by past mistakes and you hurt someone, you didn't do something you should have, you're haunted by what you did, you're haunted by what you didn't do, and you say, why did I do that? And sometimes late at night when you're staring at the ceiling and those mistakes come back and they run down the memory lanes of your mind and you just can't sleep and you would give anything to be free from the guilt of yesterday's mistake. And you may slip into the conclusion of Tina. That in order for her to relieve her spiritual and emotional pain, she has to forgive herself. And only then will her life get better. But let me start with this. Three truths about forgiving yourself. Three truths. Is it possible to forgive yourself? Let me surprise you with this truth. Forgiving yourself may seem logical, it's very contemporary, but it is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to forgive ourselves. There is not one word, there's not even any description of anybody in the Bible coming to terms with their past by forgiving themselves. The notion of forgive yourself may sound very biblical. But it is not in Scripture, and it has nothing to do with Scripture. There are two fronts of forgiveness in the Bible. God forgives us, and we forgive one another. But nowhere in the Bible does it say a person can forgive themselves. <laughs> Folks, I can no more forgive myself than I can kiss myself on my lips. That's about how impossible it is. So where does this leave Tina? Where does it leave us? What do we do with those past mistakes that run down the corridors of our mind like yelping dogs? What do we do with them? Number two, the answer is to forgive yourself, and forgiving yourself is to accept God's forgiveness. That's the answer. The answer to forgiving yourself is to accept God's forgiveness. Now, the text that I'm going to read, Romans 3, 21 through 29, is one of the most important paragraphs in all of Scripture. Leon Morris, 
the great New Testament scholar, he said possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And my theology professor and seminary in his commentary on Romans said, it is the most important in the whole Bible. Now that's saying a lot. I have read this passage of scripture in about 20 different translations this week. I sent my translation to James, and then I sent him an email and said, don't, don't, don't do that. Let me give you this text. Then I sent him back Saturday morning and said, forget that. Let me send you this. So I had a hard time making my mind up about which translation to read it from. The best, I think, is from the New Living Translation. Now, I love the Christian Standard Bible, but the New Living Translation says it a little more succinctly. Listen while I read it or look at the screen. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. His righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So here it is. So we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. Now, folks, this passage tells what forgiveness is all about. And Paul is writing about one of his favorite subjects. He is saying the law works, is useless in earning or demonstrating a personal righteousness. And the question Paul answers is, if the law, if works of the law saves us, then we don't need righteousness. But who can do, who can keep the law? The law is unable, works are unable to bring us <clears throat> righteousness. So then how do we get it? Verse 22 and 23, the righteousness of God. Paul says, let me tell you about a new righteousness. One that is guaranteed to reconcile us to God and bring us new life. Now this is going to be some real doctrine here. And doctrine doesn't hurt us. So hang on with me. 
the new righteousness comes from God himself through Jesus. In Jesus and Jesus alone, we have our righteousness. This perfection, Jesus' perfection, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' purity. I'm going to use a theological word here. Imputed, given to us when we accept by faith that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Now, you're doing good, class, so hang on. Hang on. Genuine righteousness does not come from within us. It comes through faith in Jesus. Now, how can we obtain righteousness worthy of God in his heaven? It is only received as a gift, as a gift. Look at verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we stand guilty, completely devoid of righteousness before God. But when we accept Jesus, we are declared just by the transfer of righteousness from him to us. From his account to our account. And you ask, well, what has this got to do with forgiving ourselves? See, the answer to forgiving yourself, if there is such a thing, is to accept God's forgiveness. Now, number three, the key to accepting God's forgiveness is conviction and repentance. Convicting is God's responsibility. Repentance is our responsibility. Now, what happens when we miss the mark spiritually? God comes, and by the Holy Spirit, He convicts us. We're guilty, and not all guilt is bad. This is good guilt, good guilt. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, that is good guilt. And that conviction should lead to a change in behavior. It's called repentance. Repentance. Repentance means that I change my mind. Repentance means if I'm walking toward Burlington and I turn around and come back toward Bellevue. That is repentance. And when I repent, I see my sins as God sees them. I see my behavior as God sees it. So what do I do? I put my faith in Jesus. Not faith in faith. A lot of people say, oh, I have faith. Not faith in faith but faith in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Faith that leads us to make a commitment to that person. So why is it so hard then to believe <clears throat> that we have been forgiven? I think we just dwell on our past and not on God's forgiveness. Isn't that it? We keep looking through the rearview mirror of what we have done. And we keep dwelling on how bad we messed up. And we're just consumed with it. And we cannot embrace God's forgiveness. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to accept God's forgiveness? Why do we put these barriers between us and God's grace? One of the reasons is that we listen to Satan. We listen to Satan instead of Jesus. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said this about it. 
Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is talking to them. They can't understand it. Why? Here's what he says. It's because you can't even hear me. Why can't you hear me? He says. And he goes in to describe Satan. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He was always, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here it is. So when I tell you the truth, just naturally you don't believe me. I'm trying to tell you the truth, but you're listening to Satan and you can't even hear what I say. And that's, that's it. Now, I got to thinking when I wrote this sermon a long time ago, what are some of the ways, the powerful lies, I should say, that Satan comes to us and says to us? You know what he says to me? <laughs> Campbell, you're unloved. God don't love you. How could God love you when you did such and such a thing? Why do you think that God would love you because of what you did? That is a lie. That is Satan's lie. Then he says, you are unworthy. Satan makes us feel so unworthy because of our past. And the more we think about that past, the more unworthy he makes us feel, right? And then another lie he has told me is, you're unable. You're unable. Satan reminds us how badly we have failed, how terrible we have messed up. And he says, I'm sorry, Campbell, you can't do anything anymore about it. And he lies by telling us we cannot stop the cycle of our past. We're unable to break from our past. Folks, we need to ignore the accuser and listen to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world not to what? Not to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. We need to stop listening to Satan and listen to Jesus. What more could God do to show us he forgives us? Are you familiar or ever read any of Brennan Manning's book? Ragmuffin Gospel was his most famous book. And in it he tells how he took the name Brennan. He was growing up in Brooklyn, had a wonderful friend named Ray Brennan. Growing up, they did everything together. They bought a car together as a teenager. They went double dating together. They went to school together. They enlisted in the army together. They even got to go to basic training together and they stayed together during the Korean War. One night they were in a foxhole and Ray was talking about their life in Brooklyn and the good old days and uh, his friend Ray Brannan was listening to him, sitting there eating a chocolate bar, listening to him when all of a sudden a live grenade came into the foxhole. His friend Ray smiled at him, dropped his candy bar, and plunged and laid on the grenade, and it went off, and it killed him. But Ray Brennan's life was spared. When Ray Brennan became a priest, 
he was instructed to take the name of a saint. And he took the name of his friend, Ray Brennan. So he called himself Father Brennan. Years later, he was back home in Brooklyn visiting with Ray's mother, and they sat up late one night talking about the good old days and having tea. And he asked Ray's mother, he said, Do you think Ray really loved me? And boy, Ray's mother jumped up off the couch and she pointed her finger in his face and she shouted in his face, What more could he have done for you? And Brennan said at that moment, he had a spiritual epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross and wondering if Jesus loves him and wondering if Jesus had forgiven him. And all of a sudden he said in my mind, I saw Jesus' mother Mary pointing at Jesus on the cross and then pointing at me and saying, what more could he have done for you? See, the cross of Jesus is God's way of telling us this is all he could do for us. This was all that was needed. And yet we stand before his grace. We sing about his grace. We sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of God. And we don't believe it. Does he really love me? Has he forgiven me? Am I his child? Am I important to him? Why is it so hard? to accept God's grace and live in the reality of God's forgiveness. We dwell on our past too much and we listen to Satan. <laughs> he doesn't love you. <laughs> you know what you did? What you did makes you so unworthy. <laughs> you can't break the chain of this cycle of your past sin. You might as well forget about it. Hmm. But let me tell you three ways to accept God's forgiveness. Number one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Realize deep down inside you aren't happy about the person of your past. And don't deny your past. So many try to deal with the past by denying the past. Don't try to deny the past. Self-forgiveness, if there is such a thing, is a journey into self-knowledge. It requires being absolutely honest with ourselves about our past and what we did. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to, to wiggle out of it. Just say, I did it. It was wrong. Make no excuses. I'm the one who is responsible for it. Nobody else. Be honest with yourself. And then realize Jesus has paid your debt. Jesus has paid your debt. I was out, it's been many years ago now, I was speaking at Ozark Christian College and my topic was grace. The singing group that week was the group a cappella. A cappella is a singing group from the Churches of Christ, the, non, the a cappella Churches of Christ. They're marvelous. They're marvelous, marvelous group still singing. They sang a song before I preached that I had never heard before. And it's become their signature song even now. And it says, 
and they wrote it down for me. I went, I went up to where they were living and asked them to write it. And this is, I've had it all these years. From the grave of the innocent Adam, that's Jesus, comes a call bringing joy to the sad. That's us. Oh, your cry has been heard and the ransom has been paid up in full. Be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Every deed that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of our Lord. Be ye glad, be ye glad, be ye glad. Jesus has paid the debt in full. It's been paid. On June the 23rd, 2000, there was a deaf couple stood before Judge Donald McDonoghue in Fairfax, Virginia in a small claims court. And they offered no defense against their landlord's complaint that they were behind on their rent. Now, they had recently married, which resulted in one of them losing benefits. And those benefits had kept the roof over their heads. And now they were only behind $250, but their landlord felt it necessary to take them to court to get it. Judge McDonoghue knew that the landlord was due his rent. That couple was wrong for not paying it. And the judge knew that justice had to be carried out. But nevertheless, the judge's compassion would not allow him to lower the gavel just yet. Once the landlord's attorney had closed the case, the judge suddenly called a recess, left the bench, a little while later, he returned to the bench with $250 in cash and he handed it to the landlord's attorney and said, consider it paid. Hmm. See, with a transfer from the just, that was the judge, to the unjust, that was the young couple. The debt was paid, the case was dismissed, the law was satisfied, the defendants were just and righteous in the eyes of the court. In the same way, we had a transfer of righteousness from the account of another to our account to cover our moral deficit that we might be justified in the court of heaven. You say, how does this happen? By His grace. Now, a free gift is no good unless you receive it. Now, what had happened if that young couple in their pride had said to the judge, we're not going to accept your $250. We're, going to, we're just not going to accept it. We're going to wait till we can earn it. No, no, no. A gift has to be received in order to enjoy it. Grace has to be received. All right, let's do a little review. You're doing really good. This is heavy stuff this morning. Four ways, to be honest, to accept God's grace. Be honest with yourself. Don't, don't deny. Don't deny. And realize Jesus has paid the debt. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid in full by the grace of God. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. And then number three, see yourself as a new creature in Christ Jesus. See yourself as a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Just say to yourself, I am a new creature in Christ. <laughs> My old life is gone. It is not around anymore. I am a new person in Christ. And then this is one of the most wonderful texts in all the New Testament. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the word all mean? Folks from First Church here can tell you. What does all mean? All. That's all all means. All unrighteousness. So just say, I confess that sin. God forgave me my past. All, all my unrighteousness has been forgiven. And then number four. Remember, when God forgives our sins, He forgets it. We've been talking about this. When God forgives us, he forgets us. As far back as the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never remember their sin. Hebrews 8:12. For I will be merciful to their wrongdoing. I will never remember their sin. Isaiah 43:25. It is I who swept away your transgressions for my own sake, and remember your sins. No more. Now that would make a Presbyterian shout, you know. In his book, God Came Near, Max Licato says this. I was thanking the Father today for his mercy. And I began listing the sins he had forgiven. One by one I thank God for forgiving my stumbles and my tumbles. My motives were pure, my heart was thankful but my understanding of God was wrong. It was when I used the word remember that it hit me. I remember the time I. Then I remembered. I remembered his words. And I will remember their sins no more. Wow. Now that is a remarkable promise. God doesn't just forgive, he forgets. He erases the board, he destroys the evidence, he burns the microfilm, he cleans the computer. He doesn't remember. But I do. And you do. You still remember. You're like me. You still remember what you did before you changed. In the cellar of your heart lurks the ghost of yesterday's sin. Sins you've confessed, errors of which you've repented, and damaged you've done your best to repair. And although you're a different person, the ghost still lingers. And though you've locked the basement door, they still haunt you. They float to meet you, spooking your soul and robbing your joy. With wordless whispers, they remind you of the moment when you forgot whose child you were. Are you really forgiven? Sure, God forgives most of our mistakes. But do you think he could actually forget, forget the time you... But I believe in his loving forgetfulness. I believe he has a graciously terrible memory. <laughs> Read this powerful passage from Paul's letter in the Galatians to watch your pulse rate. You're in for a thrill. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You read it right. You have put on Christ. When God looks at us, 
He doesn't see us. He sees Christ. We were Him. We were hidden in Him. We are covered in Him. And as the song says, as the hymn says, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Now, what would you tell your friend Tina? Hmm? What would you tell your friend Tina? But more importantly, what will you tell yourself? What will you tell yourself? Let's pray. I, I want to play, pray a prayer of release this morning where you accept God's forgiveness yourself. And uh, I, I, I'm going to pray. And I, I really want you to pray something like I am praying in your heart, would you? Would you, would you just say, Father, you're going to have to help me to accept your grace and forgiveness. It's not easy because I have a tendency to hold on to the past. Would you pray that? And Father, thank you for not remembering my sins. Thank you for seeing me covered by the righteousness of your son, Jesus. Would you pray that and mean it? Father, I know I won't forget what I did. But Father, even though I remember my past, help me to realize it's in the past. I'm a new creature today. And as I walk out of this room, I choose not only to receive your grace, but to live in your grace. Would you pray that? I'm going to remember. I'm your child. I'm a new creation. Old things are passed away. And I'm going to listen to you, Jesus, rather than what Satan says about my past. I'm going to listen to you. Help me to listen to you and what you say about my past. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Today we're going to give you an opportunity to accept the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ into your life. If you've never accepted Jesus, I don't know what more I could say to you this morning than what I have said in this sermon. I don't know more what could, I could say than what Romans 3, 21 through 28 said. Pretty well says it all. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He saves you. He saves you. That means he gets rid of all that crud. You don't have to carry that around anymore. It's gone. He's forgotten it. You're a new creature. Maybe you need to make that decision. Maybe you need to come and be a part of the Bellevue congregation. We'd love to have you in our family. Maybe you need to obey him in believer's baptism. We'd be able to help you to do that as well. If you have a decision to make about your soul this morning, I'll be down front. Come down and I'll help you to make it. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>